This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. You know, one of the things that we wanted to do when we created the Fabulous Learning Nerds podcast was to build a community of like-minded individuals. You know, people that would come together and share their journeys into instructional design, to share their best practices, to, to help one another out. Well, today we take that first step in building that community with our guest, Miss Emily May. Emily May is a learning consultant, and she's going to share with you her journey into instructional design and all the ups and downs and lessons that she's learned. It's a fantastic episode. If you want to be on the show and share your journey, best practices, thoughts, or ideas, please email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com, and we'll set that up right away. But for now, cue the music. Here we go. They are the fabulous learning nerds, because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I am your host, Coach Judy, and with us, as always, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh yeah. <laughs> Hey, Scott. Dan, how you doing? I'm fair to Midland, sir. How are you? Somehow, I knew you were going to tell me that. Somehow, a little bird told me that you were fair to Midland. I am doing okay. I'm just like, is it Friday yet? <laughs> just okay. I, I, I feel like we could at least get you up to like the Midland zone. Not Midland, but Midland. Like, okay, I feel so like we could pull you a little bit. All right, all right, behind the curtain. So, how does one get to fair to midland so okay i don't know where i picked it up i think we've talked about this before somewhere hitchhiking around bumming around i picked up fair to midland and it's stuck right, in right. my vernacular but you've never told us how to get there daniel that's true every day just be better than okay and you'll be in you'll be in the fair to midland zone like anything less than midland is like i'm okay i'm all right i'm eh, that's less than midland and fair is good. Anything more than fair, like, I mean, like, you're going to have days that are better than fair, and that's fantastic. But if you're, like, reaching for, like, better than, like, good every day, I mean, like, you know, slow your roll. Enjoy. Take your time. Take a breath. Have an extra coffee. Cup of tea. Just that zone. That's the golden zone. Okay. That sounds like a tremendous amount of work, Daniel, and I just don't know if I got it in me. I believe in you. That was a joke, everybody. I didn't get a lot of jokes out of, out of a tremendous amount of work. Do you remember George Carlin, the late great George Carlin? Yes. He used to get mad at people and when they said, oh, have a great day. 
like now I've got to go out and try to have a great day. Like I just wish that people would say, have a crappy day because that'd be so easy, right? Just get up and you have a crappy. I'm sorry. That, that's it's about setting that. expectations. We've talked about that before. <laughs> we may talk about that again. I love uh, that idea. But I'm glad you're fair to Midland. We're going to have to go through the Dan the Man process to fair to Midland. But not tonight, because we've got awesome stuff coming your way, including our co-host, the Duchess of Design, Abby Dawson. Abby! Hey there. How you doing? I'm doing great. Are you fair to Midland, too? I'm better than fair to Midland. Are you kidding? I look forward to this all week. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, if hey. I have to come second, I got to come strong, you know? That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, are you? I am sensing a little bit of jelly. Hashtag jelly. <laughs> on your part, Abby. That, you're, that your intro comes second. Well, you know. I mean, she still does have the best drop in learning and development podcast history. It's not bad. That's for sure. We haven't heard all of your drops, Dan. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another fantastic episode. I am super excited. Super duper excited. Because tonight um, we have an amazing individual uh, on our show. And I've got to tell you, there are people that you meet that just resonate and stick with you. And um, tonight's guest is one of those people. Um, long story short, I had a job opening and we were interviewing people in this interview. Interv uh, this person interviewed for the job. Sadly, we were looking for some video editing skills, which was not her strong point, right? But she just brought all the other boxes, checked all the other boxes, right? And um, said individual... Uh, called me up and said, hey, can I talk about the interview, how it went, and things that I can learn? And I'm like, oh, my God, you're awesome. And I have never stopped talking to her since. So, ladies and gentlemen, in studio tonight, we have the one and the only, the fantastic Miss Emily May. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is so great. Um, I've been looking forward to this. It, you know, we talk all the time about how learning people are awesome, awesome people. And Emily is just a shining example of that. And so to be able to talk about your journey tonight and uh, share some things to help our audience is going to be fantastic. But first, we've got to get down to the nitty gritty, Emily, with a little segment that we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man, what's your deal? Emily. Yes. What's your deal? All right. Well, I am an instructional designer. Um, I, my background is in advertising and marketing, um, but I've been doing ID work for about four years now. By day, uh, I work with a fabulous team over at the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education. Um, I want to give a shout out to my team. Um, amazing team, group of people um, to work with. We have a little instructional design shop where we um, consult with various subject matter experts across industries to design and develop online certif certificate programs uh, through the university and through Coursera. And by night, sometimes really early in the morning, um, I have my own uh, instructional design freelance business, Emily May Consulting, 
uh, super original name, uh, great for SEO. Um, but uh, I, I work with more corporate clients uh, through my business, um, designing, developing digital learning experiences for adults. So think e-learning. Um, I've been doing some onboarding uh, strategies and curriculum development um, and also uh, working with clients to develop systems and processes for organizing um, and accessing uh, and distributing learning content within the organization. And that's the bottom line, Stone Cold said so. That's right, Emily. <laughs> wow, wow, lots of great stuff. You, you certainly, um, you have your hands in several cookie jars. I do. You do, which is great, which is what makes you awesome, which is fantastic. So what we're going to do then is, uh, now that we know a little bit about you, let's go ahead and turn our attention to why we brought you on the show with our topic of the week. All right, Miss May, lay some knowledge on us. What are you going to be talking about this week? Um, so I want to talk today about becoming an instructional designer, uh, specifically for those who are looking to change careers um, or start their own freelance business. Uh, I think we can all agree that over the last year, um, it's become very evident, although I think that this has been going on for several years now, um, that with more and more people working online and learning online, uh, there's a huge demand for people like us. Um, and so I, I think a lot of people are considering to, you know, making the career move to instructional design or starting their business. Um, I've done it. Uh, I have people that ask me for advice on how to do it. Um, so it seemed like an appropriate place to share this advice tonight. Awesome. So why don't we go ahead and we'll start at the beginning. Like, what made you jump into the pool of instructional design, Emily? Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, I get asked that a lot. Uh, I like to say that instructional design sort of found me. Um, I was uh, working in marketing um, uh, at Corporate America, and uh, I was considering going back to school to get my master's. Um, you know, I love, I love school, love education. I always kind of thought that I would go back and get a master's, but I was never really sure about what. Um, and I remember sitting in my uh, apartment at the time, and I don't know what it was I Googled, but... Um, the instructional design um, or the learning design and technology uh, master's program at uh, the University of Colorado Denver popped up in my Google search. And so I clicked on it and I started reading through it and I just started connecting with it. And I was like, huh, wow, like this seems to like sort of bridge the gap of, you know, everything that I had done in the past. Um, you know, I was doing like project management work and um, pharmaceutical advertising before moving over to marketing. Um, and uh, I've done volunteer work and have always really loved to mentor and so it kind of like okay project management mentoring um my undergrad is in media uh so it just kind of like felt right you know um and so i applied and i got in and um here we are today that's awesome so you said you were doing like a google search and instructional design popped up and that's how you got into id yeah i guess you could say that <laughs> that is wild it's better than finding the prize at the bottom of a uh, trick cereal box. It's also a little worrying that like Google was like, I got you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Google was reading my mind. In I know. 2014. <laughs> <laughs> so we've joked a lot um, that a lot of people who get into like learning services and stuff, it's not something they ever thought about getting into uh, that they've 
they found their way their in, their way into it from all these different paths. I think you're the first person I've met who became instructional design after being in marketing, which I love and I think is really cool. Um, I would love to know how you think that insight um, has helped you along your path because that's an unusual way to get into instructional design. Yeah, you know, I think um, it, it's taken me a little bit of time to uh realize this but i think there's a ton of crossover between marketing and instructional design and um you know sort of looking like the id process and you know understanding your audience your learner and developing personas and then you know our ultimate goal is to get our learners you know have our learners be able to do a particular action which is ultimately what a marketer wants you to do they want you to buy that sneaker online or you know, pick up the phone and call the sales department or whatever. Um, so I think, you know, kind of having that mindset already going into it um, was sort of a seamless transition. Talk to us a little bit about your, you know, the mindset when you talk about success in NID. Sure. I think, you know, I kind of had a rude awakening <laughs> getting out of um, graduating, um, you know, uh, with all A's and, you know, with honors and, you know, doing great work and having praise from all of my um, instructors and, and things like that, um, thinking like, yeah, I can just like get out of school. I have my master's degree now. I've got all this work experience, transferable skills, yada, yada, yada. I can just like do whatever I want, get any job I want. Um, and like that's not that that didn't happen at all. Um, <laughs> it was actually very challenging. I was, um, you know, kind of had an interesting um, work situation at the time too and was also transitioning out of a job um so i had found um a job that i thought would be a really great in intro into id but i quickly learned that um i didn't really know uh how to explain what it was i was doing or what my role was or like what an id does um i don't know if i like missed that that piece in my master's program where like they didn't really like talk about it, but you know, there's just like such a breadth of um, responsibilities and niches that an ID can have. Um, and I didn't come out knowing that I wanted to be, a, you know, create e-learning for corporate or work in higher ed, right? Like it all kind of like blended together in my program. So um, something that I kind of struggled with a lot, um, you know, was just this, uh, notion of imposter syndrome. And I think that a lot of um, instructional designers have imposter syndrome because, you know, we're working with experts. We're not necessarily the expert. Um, and something that I've kind of helped uh, or something that's helped me and something that I that I've told, you know, kind of given the advice to other people is that, you know, you really need to have like this beginner's mindset. Um, I, I think it's, you know, something that's valuable transitioning into any different career. but especially in instructional design, um, because if you do sort of have that mindset um, and you carry it along with your work, um, it kind of gives you the perspective um, of the learner and enables you to empathize um, because you are always that you're, you're always learning. You're always asking questions. Um, be, be curious. Um, try a lot of different things. Uh, for me, you know, I <laughs> after this job and this is kind of like Scott, when you and I met, um, I think I, I had, uh, applied for a hundred jobs <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I, I interviewed for maybe 30 of them and, and I got, um, for 
far along enough and maybe three and, and I didn't get any of them. Um, and so, you know, that was like a real slap in the face and, you know, dealing with rejection and it's going to happen and it sucks. Um, and that was kind of like, I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to go down to this bar, get a bartending job and start my own business. And that's what I did. Let <laughs> <laughs> um, me back up just a minute. I want to talk a little bit about two things. First one is this idea of imposter syndrome. And I like how you stated, like, I'm not an expert here. And that can make us feel like, oh, well, what value do I bring? Because I'm not the expert. And I have a unique point of view on that. How did you eventually overcome that? Because I think there's a lot of people who struggle with that. I know what I would do, but I really want to know it, how you overcome Um, I would say that that's still a work in progress. Um, I'm very much a perfectionist, and I, I think a lot of IDs are. <laughs> Um, and so I have to constantly like remind myself that like, you know, actually one thing that, um, a friend of mine who was doing, um, my master's program with me, uh, we would have this acronym that we would throw out to one another, uh, dig done is good. Um, and so I, 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 I pull that out of thin air a lot of times. I'm like, okay, it's good. Like everything's always a work in progress. Um, you know, it's never going to be perfect. Actually, uh, I do have a. Uh, something that that helps me along as well. I had a, a manager, um, and this is unrelated to instructional design, but super relevant to imposter syndrome. Um, I uh, I was doing social media marketing, and I had just been like, we had just gone through a reorg, and I was shifted onto another team, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I have this new manager who doesn't know what to tell me what to do. Like, it was just very chaotic, and I was having a one on one, and. Actually, Scott, this manager reminds me a lot of you um, and, and, and how I'm sure that you're a manager with your team. Um, but uh, he, he said to me on the phone, he like, I'd imagine if we were face to face, we're remote, he would have looked me dead in the eyes and he was like, Emily, do you think anybody knows what they're doing? <laughs> like, do you think that those people up in New York in the corporate office have any idea what they're doing? No, nobody knows what they're doing. We're all just figuring it out day by day. And I was like, huh, you're right. And I think like thinking about that and reminding yourself that like, we are all just figuring it out day by day, um, kind of puts things into perspective and reminds you that like, it's okay that things aren't perfect and that you don't know everything. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. My, I always look at it a little bit differently. I don't need to be an expert in what I'm training or what I'm putting together. But I, I will tell you, those experts that come to, to me at least, wow, they really need my help, right? Because they couldn't put a story together to save their lives. And so I think that if we can remind ourselves that we have a real place in the ecosphere, wherever that is, around you know putting something impactful together that can change you know, impact business and change lives, then I think that's a fantastic thing. But I, I love the DIG uh, acronym. That's fantastic. And, and I also love this idea that um, we're all just faking it till we make it, right? Absolutely. Cool. Um, talk to us a little bit about, so you decided to start your own business. What are some keys to your success uh, when it came to Emily May Consulting? Um, I think the biggest... Uh, key to success is having a network 
of individuals, um, you know, instructional designers and non-instructional designers. Uh, when I was first um, starting my business, um, and I was doing a lot of LinkedIn uh, meet and greets, I would try to set up calls like once a week with people. Um, I did a lot of in-person networking. I joined a co-working space. Obviously, all of that went out the window when we were locked inside of our houses for the last year. Um, uh, but that the, the networking piece of it was is huge. In fact, people that I met and, and had conversations with in 2019 are starting to surface again in my inbox. And, um, you know, I and just having like a referral network and talking about what you do and, you know, not even business, just casual relationships. Um, you know, when somebody that you meet and you tell them what they're doing and then they're talking to somebody else and they're like, oh, I know somebody who does that. And then, you know, your name is top of mind. Um, you know, I, I went through a couple uh, coaching um, programs um, and found some accountability friends who were also doing their own business, uh, not necessarily in instructional design, but I found that, you know, the, the coaching and, and the accountability partnership um, were really helpful. I love that. You have a lot of drive. That's clear. Um, I love the idea of talking to a lot of different people, growing your network, because to your point about like the fact that you Googled a job, you know, that's something you hadn't even thought about came up. Um, one of the cool things I found about learning um, and, and design and being involved in that world is there's so much out there that you don't know about that if you talk to enough people and you're in enough conversations, you can really find some cool gigs, cool work, cool ideas um, that really make all of this a lot more fun. Totally. I, I just love the idea, one, of being able to connect with people like in our industry and I agree 100%. Like, going out, like, building those connections, uh, even if it's not for, like, future business, even if it's just for, like, man, I'm noodling on this problem and I can't figure out how to solve it. Hey, I know so-and-so over at this place. I'm, let me reach out. Like, hey, noodling on this problem, what do you think? And I can't tell you how many times they've been like, oh, duh, do A, B, and C. And I'm like, oh, crap, C. I forgot about C. I always forget about C. <laughs> you know? And, yeah, I love that idea. This podcast would not exist. It would just be this idea in the back of my little brain if it hadn't and reached out to Dan Coonrod and developed an accountability partnership with Daniel. Oh, yeah, 100%. We, we talked about it all the time, and we were purposeful about what we created. And the best part of, well, I'd say, I, I'll, I'll say this again, the second best part about this show, because the best part about the show is I get to hang out with my friends. But the second best part about the show is I get to make new ones all the time. So the fact that you're on here, Emily, and, and uh, networking with all of us, I think is great. And I, I will also say that networking has become such an important part of what I do from a sanity perspective, right? So a lot of times work-life balance can get crazy, but everybody that's in my network genuinely cares about me uh, and vice versa. And I really think the sounding boards and the accountability uh, partnerships that we develop can really, really help us accomplish bigger things and, and create bigger impact and keep us from jumping off the cliff too, right? So, excellent. Um, talk to me a little bit about, um, you've got a master's degree. Uh, I'm assuming you have a portfolio. How helpful are those for you? How helpful has that been in, in your overall success? 
Well, actually, I don't have a portfolio. And until I absolutely have to create one, I won't. <laughs> I have a very strong opinion about portfolios, but I'll talk, we'll talk about degrees first. Um, so yes, I have a master's. Um, I, I see this, this question or conversation come across um, either like I have an ID network on Slack or LinkedIn. Like, do I need a degree to become an instructional designer? I don't think you need a degree to become an instructional designer. Um, however, I mean, you can literally learn how to do anything online um, for free if you really want to. Um, however, I, I, I am an advocate for it. Um, I love school. I love to learn. Um, for me, my program, I mean, while it definitely set the foundation for uh, adult learning theory and, you know, some of these models and things like that, um, and gave me some practice, uh, I kind of go back to this network of people that I met in my program that have really been valuable to me. Um, you know, I've made some really good friends. Um, I've had job opportunities through my master's program. Um, and, you know, just some other, you know, uh, community uh, opportunities that I don't think I would have had um, without my program. So um, I'm a huge advocate for it. I understand college is expensive um, and somebody might not want to wait two years to get a degree. Um, you know, thankfully, there are, you know, fast tracked um, courses, certificate programs available now. You can do um, different coaching programs or, um, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah. Um, that's kind of where I stand on degrees. Yeah. Uh, so you said you have strong feelings about portfolios. So I feel like, what are your, what are your feelings about portfolios? I'm curious. So I think uh, I understand why somebody would have a portfolio and why somebody would want to see a portfolio. Um, I am yet to meet an instructional designer that has um, the ability to share IP. Um, online. Um, and so you're having to create extra work to create a sample of something that you that may or may not um, be what someone's looking for. I, I also think that portfolios are, are limiting in um, what somebody's capable of doing. Um, I mean, I guess there's two sides to it. Sometimes people don't know what they want until they see it. Uh, but also it's like, oh, like this is what this person does and that's it. Um, where, you know, like for me, okay, you got a problem. Uh, let's figure out a solution and what's on my portfolio. If I had one, um, might not be the right solution. Right. But that doesn't mean that I can't do it. Um, so I don't know. Um, I think that we focus too much time on building a portfolio online when really what's important is um, that network of referrals and, and people. I have, uh, so we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit. I will say when I look at somebody's resume as I'm trying to decide if I'm going to bring somebody on my team, the very first thing I do is I find their portfolio or LinkedIn portfolio, and then I put their resume aside, and I might not look at it for days or weeks. Like, I'm going to go find their portfolio and, like, get a look at, like, their material and their content and the kind of stuff they're building. And if I don't like that, I may not go back to their resume. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say, but I will say this. I do mentoring sessions with IDs, and I feel like I tell all of them, you need a portfolio. And I feel like none of them have one. And so I know it's difficult because it's like, hey, I need to build content at work if I'm like wanting to expand or I'm building content at school. 
but then I got to go and build more content so I can show people content that I created on my own for like purposes so I can get a job. So it's really interesting to hear like, uh, eh, is it really that important? So, so I, I want to jump in and on Emily's behalf, I will say I have worked a lot of jobs and have very little I can show for it outside of those employers. Right. It's, I get it. It's, it's very difficult to have high quality work that you've spent a lot of time on that you can actually share. Understanding of that, when we interview people, we don't so much look for portfolios as we ask for short, and I mean like short, I don't want people spending a lot of time because I might not hire them and I would feel tremendous guilt asking someone to put too much investment, but um, on assignments. And when we do those, I don't want to just see like your thought process for answering my question, but I also like those because it gives me an opportunity to see how they take feedback. And that is a piece I'm really interested in when I work with designers, content producers, um, because I feel like so much of a good designer or a good writer, how do you work with a team when you're hearing that they have problems with your work? Because we're all, there, there's always going to be problems with our work, right? There's always right. that barrier of communication. So what are your thoughts on that process? Um, you've been through lots of interviews. I'm sure you've been through it. <laughs> I've, I've actually been through the, um, the assignment process with um, Scott. So um, <laughs> I, you know, I, that, that was an interesting experience. Um, I probably spent too much time on it. Um, but, you know, it, it, I almost like that better because you're you're showing somebody what you can do for them um, versus something that you did for somebody else um, and able to really think through, especially as an instructional designer, like this was my design process. These were my decisions. This is why I did that. And kind of to your point, like then you get critiqued on the spot and you have to like quickly think on your feet. And, you know, that's that's the world of business right now. I mean, I I could sit after hours and and you know make stuff um but nobody might ever see it um and actually i have created a a unique portfolio for for one gig once um and it expired after 30 days so i have two really interesting thoughts so every time i've hired somebody and you know it all depends like if i want an id who is going to who's going to come in and be a gunslinger and make things look pretty, then yeah, I want to see a portfolio because I want to see the quality of their work. But a lot of times in instructional design, that's not, uh, yes, our, our work should speak for itself and our work should always look good. But it's really that thought process that I need. And sometimes that doesn't translate well into things that I can digest. So that's number one. So I love the idea of, hey, here's a problem. And I want you to solve it. So here's this problem, create a learning, short one, and it needs to include these things. We'll come back and we'll look at it. We'll a panel look at it. That's always worked for me really, really well. Because then the candidate's going to show up, right? They're either going to show up in their, um, hopefully they show up in two places. They show up in their design skills, but they also show up in their strategic skills, which for me is far more important. Like I, that strategic piece around learning is so important to me. And um, it, that's just how I think. The second thing, really important, I would challenge anybody out there, like it's real controversial. I hope we get email. Like if uh, 
If you're screaming at us right now, like, oh my God, I need a portfolio, email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. I would love to get those emails. In today's world, there is absolutely no reason why you can't develop something of your own intellectual property as a course and put it out there and make some money off of it. There are thousands of ways that you can do that. And oh, by the way, it's a great way to earn an extra buck if you've got something that you're proud of and that you're uh, considering um, as having an example of your work. Why not? Why not have a, a course out there? And one of these days we can get those kinds of folks out there. I like it because, as you know, Emily, like you could always have that course that you built be part of your offerings for your consulting gig. I gave that to you for free, by the way. You can go ahead and do that wherever you want. Because <laughs> the greatest thing is about a course, that course is always there. It's always working for you. It's always uh, an opportunity to share your capital and and make some extra money. So that's that's that. I I appreciate your boldness, Emily, around uh, your opinions. I think that's fantastic. You know, we talked a little bit about the imposter syndrome. We talked a little bit about how we instructional designers kind of struggle a little bit now and then around purpose, right? Or how do we how do we make impact in in the crazy world that we sometimes find ourselves in? What's your experience been as far as you know purpose and work uh, in uh, your career? I think. You know, one of the things that was um, hard to do, and I mean, you know, we're still, still, I think we all, all are doing it and, you know, is really getting clear on uh, how I want to live my life and what it is I want to do. And, um, you know, instructional design, I think from a selfish perspective has enabled me to, um, you know, do this work and help people essentially, you know, learn better and, and give them the power of knowledge um, is very fulfilling for me, but also, it, you know, the life choices, although it may seem like I work a lot, I do work a lot, but um, I have been able to carve out um, a, a nice work-life balance that I never had working in um, the corporate world. And, um, you know, for me, that is very powerful. Um, it's super important. Um, and I think really, you know, if you are considering this work, like really being able to answer that why question, like, why are you doing this? Um, and really anything in life. Right. But, um, you know, it's just such fulfilling work to be able to, um, you know, help, help people. Can I ask a follow up? Because I love that you brought up work life balance and making work work for your life <laughs> and your lifestyle. Um, I think a lot of us struggle with setting boundaries while also positioning ourselves as like, I can help you. I can solve this problem for you. I can get the job done. Any advice for helping people articulate their boundaries while also expressing their professionalism and that they're going to be a good asset for the, for the work? I think it really boils down to um, value and um, what value you can add. Um, and you can't really put a time frame um, on that. And, you know, it's going to be different for everybody, um, you know, I, and I think kind of working remotely is a, a good way for people to sort of hone this in, right? Like, when are you feeling the most focused and, you know, being aware of sort of those flow states during the day and like kind of creating boundaries around that? 
Um, you know, I have blocks of time in my calendar where I'm like, okay, like it's time for yoga or it's time to go for a walk or, you know, I just kind of like have to remove myself from, from the computer and, you know, scheduling in vacation um, and making sure that you honor that. Um, you know, I think we are, we are servers, we're helpers, you know, we want to help. Um, I have <laughs> gotten in, gotten myself in um, predicaments before where I'm like, I can help, I can help, I can do that. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so overloaded and, and I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I think it, it, it takes a little practice to figure out kind of where your threshold is. Um, but just being aware of that and, and you know, making note of it um, is a good first step. I, you know, you said like making sure you're making time for vacations. Uh, and I think just especially like in corporate America, people get so caught up in the for good intention, like, like, oh, like, oh, I'll take it a little bit. I'll take it a little bit later. I'll take it a little bit like, oh, you know, for my team, for my business, for my company, for my ambition, whatever reason. And I find that it's tough to convince people to take vacation anymore. Like, uh, I've got people on my team. I'll be like, hey, it's been a long time. So you took some time off. You, you should take some time off. Oh, yeah, I'm planning to eventually. And, uh, well, eventually is going to be next week unless you pick some time because you, you have to, like, we all need to disconnect. And so being able to, like, articulate that and say, like, hey, like, this is important time. That's fantastic. And that's sort of a systemic, uh, more of a systemic issue, right, of, like, how America works um, and our mentality around that, which is a whole other conversation. But as an individual... Um, you know, it's, it is important to disconnect and recharge. I mean, especially right now we're like on, it's like zoom central all the time. And, you know, it's sort of zoom fatigue is a real thing. And, um, you know, it's a different type of burnout. Um, but I think there's also like a lot of people have like the scarcity mindset that if like, they're not doing their job or they're not showing up and that even if it's just in the physical way, then like somebody else is going to take their job away from them. That's that's the whole other reason why I was like, I'm going to be my own boss, <laughs> do do things my way, um, because it is it, it it can it can be a mind game. Um, but but the time off is important. All right, we're getting close to wrapping up this amazing session. And I want to thank you for coming in, Emily. And I have I've got I've got two questions. So the first question I have for you, we'll get to the second one in a minute, is. I know we have listeners out there that are like, man, I, I love instructional design, but I, I hate working for the man or woman, <laughs> right? Right, Abby? The woman. Uh, what advice would you have for those folks that are just thinking about, you know, sticking their toe into this world of, um, you know, consulting or doing their own thing in the ID space, but maybe a little bit afraid of letting go of the golden handcuffs that come with corporate America. Totally. Um, and there's something to be said about security, right? Um, I would say try to find small side projects and side work um, and try a variety of different things. Um, keep networking. I mean, that's a great way to you know, even if you have to volunteer to do a, a project, um, you know, it's 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 hard to 
take a step into, you know, owning your own business. I mean, I also work a full-time job and, you know, I, I, I like that it, it gives me the security, um, and the benefits, um, and that I can still, you know, have the good parts that I like about running my own business and working with clients that I want to work with and projects I want to work on. Um, but I think there's just, you know, you just, just try trial and error, um, talk to people, um, and, and just try to get in into different types of projects um, that you can be a part of. I love that you brought up the side hustle. Like, I think that my challenge would be to everybody that's listening to this show or this episode, find something you're passionate about or yourself into the passions and have a side hustle. It will bring you joy. And if it doesn't bring you joy, you should totally get out of it right away. Like if it's not going to make you happy, if your side hustle doesn't make you happy, then, then get out, find another one. Because on the rough days, you can always look forward to your side hustle. So thoughts on that, Emily? I agree 100%. Um, as long as, you know, you're working for a place that um, is okay with that, um, they're definitely, you know, I've. I've worked for places that um, don't don't like that um, and that didn't work out too well. So I would say if that's something you are planning on doing, um, put your feelers out there first uh, with your management team. Um, make sure they're okay with it. Uh, Emily, uh, second question. Like, Think of all the groovy stuff that you've had to work on. Tell us about a project that you're really proud of and why. Oh, the million dollar question. Um, well, right now I am actually working with my husband. He's a chiropractor um, and we are, I'm helping him build out some um, process and um, onboarding and training for his uh, new practice. He's moving buildings and um, getting new employees and, and you know, he's got all these documents and all of these things in various places. And so I'm um, helping him kind of organize that and put it together and through this process i am learning that i really love process and it brings me great joy and um i have really loved seeing this come um to fruition and uh can't wait to sort of create my own process and develop a course online and sell it someday scott thanks for showing up this was super fantastic thank you so much for having me it was fun yeah, you're a lot of fun to talk to. I hope you come back. Definitely. Definitely. Yep. Cool. Emily, how can our listeners get a hold of you and all the groovy stuff that you've got to offer? Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn um, or through my email. Uh, I'm sorry, my well, my email or my website, um, emilymayconsulting.com. Um, or my email is emily at emilymayconsulting.com. Fantastic. We're so glad that you showed up. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. I hope it was as inspiring to all of you as it was for us. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi to Emily, please email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. And hey, let's go ahead and take a break and jump into our leadership minute. Time for Coach Shooty's Leadership Minute. This week, we are going to be talking about expectations. 
expectations folks you know it's the most important thing for engagement your employees need to know what's expected of them at work because if they don't know what's expected of them at work or worse yet you have expectations of them that you haven't communicated to them wow that's a disconnect that causes a lot of people to rage quit right so make sure you spend some time explaining to your folks what you expect and don't be afraid to use the word expectations when you talk to them hey i expect that you get this done by the end of the day friday what questions do you have about my expectations your employees will appreciate knowing that you have alignment around expectations and don't forget that you tell them the why. Why is it important that we meet these expectations? You'll get better work out of them all the time. And that's my Leadership Minute. You've got that down to like a science, man. Like that is one minute. Was it one minute on the dot? <laughs> it was one minute on the dot. One of these episodes, we will not talk about exactly how long my Leadership Minute was. Oh no, we definitely have to. It's tradition. It's tradition now. Well, it I'm is. glad I got it in. I just think that's so important. It just, it, it's interesting how those things just kind of seep into your world. Like, oh, this is what I'm going to talk about this week. So you can probably guess what I ran into. Dan. Yes, Scott. Why, could you please uh, take some time to tell our listeners how they can connect with us, sir? Absolutely. Guys, if you haven't already, you can email us at learningnerdcast at gmail.com. You can join in the discussion. Ask Scott some questions, ask me some questions, ask Abby some questions, ask anybody some questions. We just want to email. If you haven't already, like us on our Facebook page at Learning Nerds. And lastly, we're on Instagram, Fab Learning Nerds. Thank you, Dan. And thank you, Emily. Thanks so much for showing up. We really appreciate it. Folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. If you haven't done so already, please, if you love the show, hit subscribe, share it with your friends. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else with the has reviews, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, and if it's nice or not, we'll be reading it on the air. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Emily. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you think it would give it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.